and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, you made another uh, little uh, trip to Blacksburg this weekend. How was that, man? Uh, the weather could not have been worse. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, cold and rainy. Uh, I was telling, you know, my sister and her boyfriend, a couple people we were with, I was... I was talking about how nice the weather has been in Virginia all throughout the month of October and how it didn't really feel like October or the fall at all. It really just felt like, uh, you know, some of the cooler days towards the end of summer. And it came with a vengeance in Blacksburg. Unbelievably cold on Saturday. Uh, actually, the day started out kind of nice, and then I guess the cold front moved in. I'm not a meteorologist, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I play one on the podcast. So the wind and the rain came in, and right around game time, it was pretty cold and pretty windy, and the rain started pretty steadily towards the middle of the second quarter, and after that, it was all downhill from there. It was the worst rain I think I've ever been a part of, at least in Blacksburg. Uh, Unbelievably bad weather. Uh, Hokies were lucky to jump out to the early lead, because really, there was not much offense that was going to be had there in the second half with how bad the rain was coming down. Yeah, I saw Virginia Tech using the end zone as a slip and slide after what I presume was the end of the game. Um, it was kind of one of those nights in Blacksburg. Same went for Georgia Tech and Clemson. They they played in a just a total, you know, at the risk of going back to an old cliche, they played in a monsoon on Saturday night. Um, but so that kind of the weather played into some of these games. But uh, we'll, we'll get to them here in a minute, Mike. We got to recap week nine. And if, if you don't mind, I think we need to maybe change this up a little bit. And we're going to start this week a little differently. We're going to start out with the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. It, Is that, it has, that good with you? It has to be done, I think, after what just happened to us this past weekend. Yeah, and, and I think it's most important that, that I am the one that informs all of the listeners um, that this week's winner of the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award is me. Um Mike, my, my picks were horrendous this weekend. Uh, I believe I went one. Yeah. Oh man, Bad it's not Central. good. Bad beat Central. Now I'm going to make sure that we take credit for the Penn State Ohio State game because we got that one right. Ohio State in a close game, but Penn State covers, and it's important that we do claim that one because that was one of two correct picks against the spread I had this weekend. Whoops! Like eight tries. Yeah, not great. Uh, Georgia Tech pushes, and other than that, I was. Two, two and five against the spread. Um, it was ugly. Um, it was actually this morning. This is Monday evening that we're uh, recording this. It was this morning driving to work that I was listening to our preview again. And the whole time I was just cringing at like half the things that I said of like, here's how this is going to go down. And that's how it did not go down, Mike. Um, this was a, a mess of a weekend in the ACC, at least compared to what we expected from it. And um I, at this point, I, I feel like I'm a, almost a little bit done with trying to predict what's going to happen. A, because I'm bad at it, and B, because things seem to be fairly unpredictable at this point. Is that fair? I think that's fair, and you look at what happened last year with the ACC, right? I feel like by the time we got to this point in late October, it's easy for me to say now, like a year later, but looking back on it, I have a feeling that you and I had a lot better idea of what was going on at this point last year than we do at this point this year. I mean, we know Clemson's pretty good. NC State's pretty good. Uh, who else? Like Miami didn't look great again. We'll get into that, in, you know, in a few minutes. Virginia Tech, you know, they got that one win against West Virginia, but 
they have obvious flaws on the offensive side of the ball. Um, youth plays a large factor in that. So there are a lot of questions you know, in the Coastal Division alone, and then so many disappointments in the Atlantic. you got Louisville being as bad as they are defensively. Uh, you got Florida State, obviously, doing what they're doing. It's you know their issues extend far beyond quarterback play at this point in time. Uh, so it really is up in the air. I mean, we can't get a handle on BC. Boston College looks like a bad team through the first month and a half of the year. Now all of a sudden they've rattled off three straight, and all they do is score thirty and forty points a game. I'm having a really hard time with this this year. I know you are too. I'm sorry about you being the recipient of the you tried award this week. Um, my picks. I don't know how they ended up being in the ACC we'll recap that later but I know overall I did okay but that's mostly because the money I actually put on games this weekend did not take place in the ACC really at all I mean I put money line bet on Notre Dame to beat NC State I'm trying to think off the top of my head oh Florida State was one of my losers Miami was one of my losers um, I bet the under in the Florida State um, the Florida State BC game that was under 47 right mm-hmm. so yep. got that one right but Same. other than that, I stayed away from ACC bets this weekend. I think I'm lucky I did. Yeah, worth mentioning that my pick of the week of uh, Florida State Boston College under 47 did hit. So that is, at the very least, I got you know in the win column there in the pick of the week category. But overall, Mike, this I, I got to take the L here. This was this was a bad weekend for my picks, um, and I, I really I am deeply apologetic to anybody who is uh, t- just blindly tailing my picks because. You deserve better. I'm going to try to do better for you. Um, so I will take home this week's Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Let's let's dig in a little bit of how this all went wrong, Mike. First game out of the gate, number nine, Notre Dame 35, number 14, NC State 14. Uh, the, the Wolfpack, I had taken NC State to win this game outright. Um, I said that I thought that they had you know so many ways that they could beat you. Uh, and, and I thought that their defense was going to find a way to bottle up Notre Dame's rushing attack and force Brandon Wimbush to beat him. That was not the case. Uh, Notre Dame basically ran the ball at will on them. Josh Adams had another huge game, uh, 27 carries for 202 yards and a touchdown. The whole team goes for over 300 yards and three and two touchdowns on the ground. Brandon Wimbush only has to throw 19 passes, 104 yards, two touchdowns. That was fine. Meanwhile, NC State, uh, Naeem Hines got hurt early in this game, uh, left the game, did not return. And uh, at that point, NC State was a little bit up a creek. Uh, Reggie Gillespie ends up leading the team with only 47 yards on the ground. Ryan Finley was forced into uh, savior mode, trying to, trying to keep the Wolfpack alive and just was not able to convert. He was under 50% passing uh, for 213 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And... Overall, this was a pretty suffocating effort from Notre Dame's defense, I think. Um, NC State really struggled to move the ball for a lot of this game. It probably was predicated on being unable to establish a ground game. Overall, though, Mike, I, you know, I, I'm not that sorry for my pick of NC State to win. Uh, I was more just really impressed with what I saw from Notre Dame. I think that they, are, they proved themselves this weekend that they are absolutely legit. And they have a good chance, I think, to build a resume that would get them into the playoff without a question. I think this is the best team that Brian Kelly has had uh, in his eight years in South Bend. I believe I mentioned that on the last podcast on the preview. Uh, mm-hmm. Notre Dame's defense is absolutely suffocating. Uh, but before we get into that, Brian Kelly saved his job. Uh, he saved his job far before this weekend, obviously. But getting into his coaching hires, um, rids himself of Brian Van Gorder, probably the smartest thing he ever did. Brings in Mike Elko, who had, 
you know, a great year last year as a defensive coordinator at Wake Forest. He brings him in. Notre Dame has turned around from being one of the worst defenses in college football to one of the best defenses in college football. Brian Kelly seeds his play calling away, right? Gives it away uh, to Chip Long, new offensive coordinator. He's, you know, made sure that the Irish are predicated with a run-first attack. I think that's extremely important, knowing your personnel. Brian Kelly as a play caller is known to be a little bit pass happy. They've become a power running team. They've built on the strengths of the left side of their offensive line. Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey have been fantastic this year. Obviously, they're two, you know, not even first round picks, like top 10, top 15 picks on the offensive line. So with the play calling, the Irish have played to those strengths. They're now running Josh Jackson, who's a bona fide Heisman candidate running back. He's one of the best running backs in the country. He's running behind a fantastic offensive line. He's a 150, 200-yard rusher per game waiting to happen, no matter who the defense is, as we saw this weekend against NC State. Notre Dame is a run-first offense, and they play fantastic defense. That's a recipe to, to play and to win and be competitive on any level, not just in the college game. The key to beating Notre Dame is to make Brandon Wimbush throw, but teams can't stop Notre Dame's rushing attack right now. I would be really interested to see a matchup with Georgia again, like this time of year, because Notre Dame's offense was not clicking the way it's clicking now when they played Georgia back in the second mm-hmm. game of the year in September. I'd be really interested to see that matchup now and see how Notre Dame's rushing offense would stack up against Georgia's rush defense. You know, I think the world of Georgia's rushing defense, I think they're fantastic. I think they have the best rushing defense in the country. But I would be really interested to see how Notre Dame would be able to move the football on them now rather than back in September when they lost in South Bend. But yeah, Notre Dame's one of the best teams in the country. They're one of the hottest teams in the country for sure, even if you don't think they're legit yet. Uh, they still have opportunity to prove it to you. They got four big games remaining on their schedule. But yeah, really convincing win for Notre Dame. I don't think that this is an indictment on NC State at all. You know, you lose Naheem Hines, that's a tough loss. And you don't have a lot of playmakers on the outside that can win. Um, obviously, you have Jalen Samuels, who's a fantastic player. But when you lose another playmaker like Naheem Hines, you're fighting an uphill battle, even as good as Ryan Finley has been this year for NC State. So uh, Notre Dame's defense was suffocating, especially in the second half. They took control with their running game. That ended up being the difference in the football game and a really sound, convincing win for Notre Dame. And I believe that NC State was the toughest opponent remaining on Notre Dame's schedule. We'll see how that plays out here over the next month. But that's a really convincing win over a team that I thought would give Notre Dame a bunch of issues there on Saturday. I thought Notre Dame would win the game. I thought it would be close. Ended up being neither of those things in the second half. Notre Dame completely took control of the football game, and it was really impressive to watch. So it'd be really interesting to see where the Irish are, um, you know, come the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday night because if Notre Dame's a top-four team, man, things could get really interesting if they end up winning out. Mike, I'm looking at NC State's remaining schedule and here's the biggest problem with a potential Naeem Hines injury. And it, it looks like it should be pretty manageable. He should be ready to go next week. But here's the thing is, you know who they play next week? They play one of the best rushing defenses in the country in the Clemson Tigers. Uh, they sure do. They've got the Clemson Tigers in probably a game that will likely decide the Atlantic division. Um, NC State has still not lost a conference game. They are 6-2 and two overall, but the two losses were both out of conference. Their remaining schedule, home against Clemson, at Boston College, at Wake Forest, home against North Carolina. You beat Clemson, you're in the driver's seat in the Atlantic Division. You've got the tiebreaker over the Tigers, and, and I think NC State could get it done. I have a lot of 
concerns about the health of Naeem Hines moving forward. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we come back and preview the Week 10 games. But I worry about the the lasting effect that this game might have on the Wolfpack as they try to uh, try to get it back together just in time to uh, to potentially you know reach their their season long goal of, of winning the Atlantic Division. Um, obviously, the the critical crucial matchup is coming up next weekend, so we'll see how they do. But again, Notre Dame, I, I think this is a little more of a story about how impressive Notre Dame is rather than any deficiencies that NC State has. Uh, Notre Dame again just suffocating. I would point out, and I'm going to, you know, I'll do my uh, my Wolfpack fans a solid here. I think Notre Dame might have gotten a couple calls, Mike. Um, and that's that's probably the first time that that's ever happened in South Bend. Yeah, first um, time that, ever. Yep. Yeah, they don't, they don't get a lot of help from refs nope. in, in their home stadium. Nope. But this weekend, they might have gotten a little. No, nah, they've, been, they've um, been parentally underrated as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, again, though, Notre Dame, I mean – Sure, Notre Dame got a couple calls, but Notre Dame didn't win this game by three touchdowns because of the refs. Um, th- this game was a an absolute just beatdown by the Irish. They are that good. They have a a, a style that is going to travel and is going to um, do them really well this year. So a great way to describe I'm, I'm it. Very, yeah, I'm very very curious to see if they can make it into the playoff and make some noise on the national stage uh, here at the end of the year. I think this is the most complete team they've had um, defensively. They're fantastic, and they run the ball well. They'll travel anywhere, and I think that's a great point you made. Huge turnaround from last year. Let's move on, Mike. Number seven, Clemson, 24. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 10. Uh, This game, the thing that we totally, I guess, just didn't really have the info to uh, make a point on in the preview, this game was played in, again, in a monsoon. Um, This was just a total downpour starting about 30 minutes before kickoff. The field was in awful condition for you know I guess relative to a dry field I think it was probably in better condition than Miami's field was when Georgia Tech played him a few weeks ago in a very heavy rainstorm but still I mean you're watching players walk around and and there's puddles you know splashing around every step they take Um, like this was this is a game where Clemson was clearly better than Georgia Tech Um, I think I said that for Georgia Tech to win this game they would need to play a pretty perfect game uh, early in the game, I think about the fourth or fifth play from scrimmage, Cravante Benson fumbles. Clemson goes two plays and a touchdown, and that was about it. You know, Georgia Tech did not come out playing a perfect game. They got down early, and they just never really were able to get any traction on offense and recover. I think ultimately the offense was done in by Clemson's uh, defensive line just not being blocked at all. Some of that is how good Clemson was. Some of that was Georgia Tech's offensive line struggling to gain traction at all physically or just you know, momentum-wise or whatever, you know, cosmically. I don't know what you call that. But anyways, um, you know, Georgia Tech's defense, I thought, played well in this game. Um, they they did hold the score down in a way that they needed to, especially in the second half. It was 21-3 to at halftime, and uh, they limited Clemson to a field goal in the second half. But overall, uh, Clemson bounces back really nicely after a, a loss to Syracuse and, and looks to be on the right track as they head to Raleigh next weekend. Clemson is a completely different team with a healthy Kelly Bryant. Um, no mm-hmm. ill effects, obviously, of the concussion. He had two weeks to heal from that. But more importantly, no ill effects from that bum ankle that he injured in the Virginia Tech game, aggravated in the Wake Forest game, and then caused him to leave the game against Syracuse because he couldn't effectively slide and got concussed. Um, he looked 
really healthy on Saturday night. 67 yards rushing, 207 yards passing, two touchdowns on a wet track. If Clemson has a healthy Kelly Bryant, they're a completely different football team. Defensively, you know they're always going to be there, but if they have help from the offensive side of the ball, Kelly Bryant's leading the charge there, a quarterback, this is a playoff team. And I don't know if they're going to get the opportunity or not. Uh, There's a lot of football left, so who knows? You know, one loss ACC team could absolutely get in. We saw it last year. There's no reason to think it can't happen again this year. There's a lot that has to happen uh, between now and then to get to that point, I believe, at this point, at least with everybody's resume stacking up right now. But I think the committee needs to look at this and say, well, you know, Clemson wins out. They win the ACC championship. You know, does Clemson win that game with Kelly Bryant being healthy full for a full four quarters against Syracuse? They probably do. Uh, and I think that's one thing that will be taken into account, fair or not. This is a different football team when he's in the game, and they were fantastic. Defensively, holding Georgia Tech just under 200 yards rushing. Was it 32 or 33 yards passing through the air for Taquan Marshall? Not much in the way of passing yards anyway, just because of the nature of Georgia Tech's offense. Unless they hit a couple big plays, you're not going to have a guy throwing for 150 or 200 yards a game in that offense. But you combine that with the fact you're playing a stout Georgia Tech, uh, stout Clemson defense in the rain, in the wind. It was just a bad recipe, especially for a team that was effectively stopping the run for a majority of the football game. It went pretty much how we expected it to go, Joey. It was kind of a slow burn there. Uh, Clemson jumped out to a huge lead, and they just kind of grinded it away in the bad weather. And that's kind of how we expected it to go. Georgia Tech, of course, with the late touchdown to get a push and or cover, depending on what spread you had. But, yeah, good win for Clemson to get back on track after the bye week. And this is going to be a very dangerous team down the stretch, and that's something that we knew already. Listening to the post game from Paul Johnson, I, I think his take on a lot of this, the struggles that Georgia Tech had on offense were – effectively that they they made some mistakes early they got down and then they sort of panicked um, and they they couldn't really pull themselves together I mean Taquan Marshall was missing reads all over the place he was not finding receivers down the field you know they weren't communicating right he was throwing go routes and receivers were running hitch routes or or, you know comeback routes etc this was kind of a comedy of errors that that really spiraled out of the out of control for Georgia Tech pretty quickly um, they score a late touchdown to make it look competitive and get that backdoor push. Is that uh, – we'll go phrasing That's on that That's what we'll one. call it. Careful. What the hell, right? Careful, yeah. Um, yeah, but very, overall, very careful. Very careful. Yeah, careful. Um, I, I would tell you, though, Mike, and I would tell a lot of Georgia Tech fans, be very careful about what kind of uh, conclusions you're drawing from this game, um, about Georgia Tech, about Clemson, about any of it. Again, this place, this game was played in a very unusual setting in terms of the, the weather conditions and the footing conditions. Um, the entire game, I mean, it was players slipping and sliding every which every which way. Um, there were just like a hundred punts in this game. Um, it, I mean, this was this was just not a normal game. And and Clemson is a better team. They are the reigning national champions. They're probably going to win the conference again this year. Georgia Tech couldn't move the ball on them. They're not the they're not the first team this year, and they're not the last team that's going to struggle to move the ball on Clemson. Like this is just a, a function of who you're playing. It's a really good team. It is not a a you know black mark on Georgia Tech's resume. They made it look respectable from a scoreboard perspective, and ultimately, look, you got to be okay taking a couple of lumps as a Georgia Tech fan uh, playing against a team like Clemson that is uh, is way more well equipped resource wise. Uh, to, to put together a, a dominant football product on the field, I think. And by the stats, Louisville has the best offense in the ACC. 
statistically, mm-hmm. and they really struggled against Clemson too. So remember that. Mm-hmm. And they have a special, special player quarterback. Um, what's his name again? Oh yeah, Lamar Jackson won the Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy. That guy. Oh yeah, that big bronze trophy yes. I saw him holding up last yes, year. Yes, that's uh, college football's best player every year. Gets that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he struggled against them, so it happens. You realize that Syracuse and Louisville are the only two teams that have scored 20 points on this Clemson team this year? This is <laughs> – it's funny. This has been like three straight years now where we've said, wow, how is Clemson going to replace all that talent on defense? And then, oh, yeah, they found a way. Like, they always find a way. So just remember that. Yeah, Clemson through eight games. Here's what opposing offenses have scored against them. 3, 6, 21, 7, 17, 14, 27, and 10. I mean, if you if you get in the end zone more than twice, you know, you, you found something in, in Brent Venable's defense that a lot of people haven't found. So, um, just, again, careful with what conclusions you draw there. But, anyways, Clemson 24, Georgia Tech 10. Let's move on, Mike. And we need to have a talk. Let's have a talk. Have a very, we need to have a very stern discussion here. Number eight, Miami, 24, UNC, 19. Okay, first of all, Miami, 20-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. We both called it America's Lock of the Week. We, we both took that and you know took it off the table. And lost money with it. <laughs> yeah, because it's not fair. I saw our buddy Josh Parcell had it as one of his locks of the week. Like This was America's Lock of the Week. Is Miami by three touchdowns against a bad, faltering, you know, ridiculous UNC team. Now... In the first quarter, North Carolina loses Chaz Surratt. He goes out with an injury. He does not come back. Brandon Harris was out for this game. That means that now North Carolina is being quarterbacked by Nathan Elliott, a third string, Who? I think redshirt freshman. Who? I don't know, dude. Sophomore something. I don't know. Look. Nathan Elliott, who has not yet played in a game this year up until the Virginia Tech game last week, he comes in. And Miami manages to win the game by five. That's your top ten Miami Hurricanes, Mike. They are beating a a bad, beaten down, miserable North Carolina team by less than a touchdown. Can we talk about how Miami is not a top ten team, Mike? I'm starting to question whether or not they're a top 15 team. And before you call me crazy, um, let's consider... The teams right now, as I pull this up, in the top 25 ahead of Miami. And here we are. This is good podcasting. Okay, so teams in the top 25, excuse me, that not ahead of Miami, behind Miami right now. Miami is currently ranked number nine in the nation. TCU, Oklahoma State, Washington, Virginia Tech, Iowa State, UCF, Auburn, USC, Stanford, LSU. There are at least five teams there who I would put ahead of Miami. You want to hear them? Uh, Go for it, and we'll compare my list. TCU, Oklahoma State, Washington, Virginia Tech, who, you know, that will be decided on the field this weekend, and Mm -hmm. Iowa State. I would put all of those teams, all five of those teams, directly behind Miami. I'd put them ahead of Miami. And I don't think that's a crazy thing to say at this point in time. Now, some guy named Nathan Elliott, uh, the third stringer for North Carolina, almost beat the Hurricanes this weekend. And by almost beat the Hurricanes, I mean North Carolina had the football inside the 40-yard line of Miami with less than two minutes to go, down by five. Third-string quarterback in North Carolina had the football. Wasn't good enough, obviously, to take advantage of that. 
had three interceptions on the day. Obviously, the one costly fumble there at the end ended up deciding the football game. North Carolina is not a good enough team to take advantage of all the Miami mistakes and make them pay to the degree that Miami's going to lose. It's a talent thing. Miami is a lot more talented than North Carolina. It was a look-ahead spot for Miami. That can be used as an excuse, but it was. Here's the thing, though. This is the team... This is what they've been all year, this Miami team. They've been that team who just kind of slides by, who, you know, defensively, you know, one of the best turnover margins in the entire country, sixth in the country, you were saying before we hit record. Sixth in the country in turnover margin. I believe they're first in the ACC in that department. But the thing we're forgetting here is there's only a certain level of luck and skill involved, right? So much of turnovers and winning the turnover battle is luck. Some of that's teachable by having a good scheme, getting a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Miami has done that to a degree this year. I don't want to take it all away from them, right? They've they forced turnovers. They've done a great job on that side of the ball, creating turnovers, giving the ball back to their offense. But when you can't put North Carolina away, it makes me question whether or not you're going to be able to put away better teams on your schedule in close games. Miami has lived and died in the last two, well, they haven't died yet. They've been living in the last two minutes of games this year, just doing enough to get by and winning those games in the final couple of minutes. Are you going to be able to do that against a team like Virginia Tech, a team like Notre Dame, Clemson in the ACC championship game? Are you going to be able to do that against those types of teams who don't turn the football over and who can have or have the ability defensively to turn you over? Are you going to be able to sustain enough momentum in the fourth quarter to win those close games? That's what I wonder with Miami at this point, and I think it's absolutely a fair thing to question because they've just been sliding by all year, barely getting by. They have a lot of good teams remaining on their schedule, Joey, right? Two out of their final four games remaining are against ranked teams. You have a top 10 team in Notre Dame. You have a top 15 team in Virginia Tech ahead of you this coming weekend. Are you able to do enough to get by those types of teams by playing this level of football? I don't think they are. I don't think they're good enough. They need to play better and more consistent for fourth quarters. They've been extremely inconsistent. They don't look like a top 10 team. They certainly don't even look like a top 15 team at this point. Do they have top 10 and top 15 talent? They absolutely do. But until they start showcasing that on the field for four quarters and put away bad teams like a North Carolina team with their third-string quarterback that was 1-7 and seven entering the contest, you can't put them away. You absolutely need to blow that team out, and they didn't do it. Leaves more questions than answers about Miami moving forward, that's for sure. Mike, Miami got outgained in this game. I didn't. UNC had 13 more yards than Miami did. And I didn't even bring up the fact that North Carolina is 12th in the ACC in rushing defense. Miami had 52 yards rushing in the football game on 26 carries. 52 yards against the 12th like, ranked rushing defense in the conference. It was a terrible Plus would say, S&P Plus would say this is barely a top 80 defense against North Carolina. And you went 32 carries for 50-some yards and then 17 of 41 through the air. Malik Rozier couldn't complete half of his passes against North Carolina's beat-up, sorry-ass defense. Are you kidding me? Like, this is a team that people are saying is a top-10 team. You're joking. They sh- they're not a top-10 team. Sure. Oh, look. Oh, oh yeah, Miami's won every game. They don't, they, you know, they've got more points on the scoreboard than the other team does. That's great. That doesn't mean you're the better team. That means you – in a lot of these cases, you have gotten lucky. 
Let's take inventory, Mike. I tweeted this out on Saturday afternoon. Miami's now in a place where they have won two games where they trailed by uh, trailed with 15 seconds left in the game. They beat Syracuse by eight with a plus three turnover margin, and now they've beaten North Carolina's third-string quarterback by five points, a North Carolina team that's only beaten, what, the Little Sisters of the Poor out of the FCS? Good Lord, Mike, can we not talk about this as a top-ten team? Absolutely not. Do anything that is impressive and makes anybody think that you're a top-ten team other than, oh, hey, we haven't lost a game yet. Yeah, good luck with that the next two weeks when you play Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. You are going to get the floor wiped with you if you're coming out giving that kind of effort. That's embarrassing. I am, I am so sick of the national narrative around this team. It is driving me insane. I can't handle it. I can't handle it, Mike. They're on, I'm mad online. Yeah, they're, they're getting hype on a level that warrants an early 2000s Miami team, which talent-wise, A, doesn't match the talent they had on those teams because it was a level of talent that was on another planet. But secondly... This does not have the same feel of a Miami team that's on track to go win a national championship. This is not a team that is national championship worthy with the level they're playing. They're not consistent enough on the offensive side of the football. That's what it boils down to. Do they have a fantastic defense? Yes, of course they do. They're forcing turnovers left and right. They've been great on that side of the football. Offensively, they're not even close to that level. They really, really, really miss Mark Walton. They really miss him. Travis Homer mm-hmm. is fine, but there's a reason why Travis Homer has not been the starting running back in his four years at Miami. There's a reason why Mark Walton jumped him as the starter. There's a reason why Joe Yearby got all the playing time he got. Travis Homer has not been able to stay healthy. When he's been healthy, he hasn't been able to produce on a consistent basis. That continues to be the case now as he has more of a featured role with Mark Walton out of the game. Miami is struggling to run the football right now. Rozier has been inefficient throwing the ball against a Virginia Tech defense coming into this weekend. We'll get into it in the preview. Virginia Tech's allowing 11.5 points per game. They have one of the best scoring defenses in the entire country. They're not giving up any big plays at all. Clemson was the only team this year that could really get anything going against them offensively. Miami doesn't have the anywhere near anywhere near the level of offense that Clemson does at this point in time. They have the talent. They don't have the consistency. They don't play like a top offense. There's no reason to think that they're going to be able to go out against a team like Virginia Tech and score. There's no reason to think they're going to go out against a team like Notre Dame in two weeks and score. I don't care if you play it at Hard Rock Stadium. I don't care if you play it at your local high school. I don't care if you go to the ACC championship in Charlotte and play against a team like Clemson. Miami, I don't know when it's going to be. It could be this weekend. It could be next weekend. It's not going to be against Pitt or Virginia, but if it's not these next two weekends, it's going to be in the ACC championship against Clemson. One of these three games that they end up playing, two for sure coming up, Virginia Tech and Notre Dame in the next two weeks. But if they end up getting through that unscathed somehow, some way, and they get to an ACC championship against Clemson, Miami is absolutely going to get exposed. It's only a matter of time. Their luck is running out, Joey. It's oh, I mean, you're, we're getting to that point. They are very, very, very close to not only losing a game, but getting absolutely blown out. They need to play getting better. Embarrassed. If they play better and they put all that, you can leave all this behind. None of the seven games you've played matters. I'm sorry. You're 7-0. and there, There's something to be said for that. But if you don't start playing better, you're going to not only lose, but you're going to get blown out. 
they got great opportunity in front of them the next couple of weeks to not only prove you and I wrong, but a bunch of people who are doubting them on the outside wrong. The only people that believe in this Miami program right now is their fan base. Most of them are delusional at this point in time, thinking they're a top 10 team. Miami has not played anywhere close to that level, but they're going to have an opportunity to prove themselves in the next two weeks. If they play better, they win these next two games, go into the final part of the season with all the momentum in the world. Who knows what happens in the ACC championship game at that point in time, but there's no reason to think that Miami is going to make it through these next two games unscathed. There's just too much of a track record there to suggest that they're so inconsistent to a degree that they're not going to win these upcoming two football games. Mike? I don't know about you, but I feel a little better now. I feel better. I do too. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, I do want to go back to your list of teams in the top 25 that you said were ranked behind Miami and you would put ahead of them. You stopped at TCU, Oklahoma State, Washington, Virginia Tech, Iowa State. Why'd you stop there? Go to UCF, go to Auburn. I'd put NC State in front of Miami right now. NC State's lost twice. I think they're a better football team than Miami is. Yep. I don't think Miami is a top 15 team. I don't much either. Less a top 10 team. I don't either. That's And, you know, that's the challenge for Miami. I mean, they're not going to be short on motivation. I mean, they're going to have that moving forward. There are plenty of people doubting the Hurricanes right now. And uh, in my opinion, rightfully so. And I don't think it's unjustifiable either. I mean, I think there's plenty of reason to doubt this football team. Okay. Now we can move on. We should go. We need to go. We got to go talk about. Uh, we got to go talk about some other posers, Mike. Uh, we got to talk about the Knolls. Boston College 35, Florida Whoa. State 3. Are you talking about Miami? What? Is that Miami's best win against Florida State, right? Uh, might Ooh, be. Man. I don't know. I guess, I'd, I guess I'd call Georgia Tech the best win, but that was <laughs> fluky as hell. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kidding. The two best wins have probably been fluky as hell. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Miami fans, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Dude, Boston College 35, Florida State 3. Florida State, we're done. We're done. I'm done with you. I'm not I will pick against you every game the rest of this season if I have to. I will I won't do it, Mike. I'm telling you right now I'm done with them. I think Florida State has quit. They will not they won't play defense. They won't play offense. They won't block for James Blackman. James Blackman is you know, varying degrees of loss. Boston College is I think fine. They seem to really have something on offense with AJ Dillon. 33 carries for 149 yards and a touchdown in this game. He was electric. Other than that, Florida I, Florida State's quitting, Mike. I think they're done. They are 2-5. and five. For them to be bowl eligible, they're going to have to win at least three out of four left against Syracuse, Clemson. Uh, I don't even know who that is. DSU. What is that? Dalton. Delaware State. Delaware State. And then uh, Florida. Give me three out of four against – I mean, it's not unthinkable – I'm, no, I'm not talking myself into this, Mike. I'm not uh, doing don't it. Don't do it. Florida State's done. They're not going to make a bowl game. They're going to miss a bowl for the first time since what year? 1981. That's 36 Ooh. years, Joey, by my math. That's a hell of a bowl streak to come to an yeah, end. Yeah, it's a long, uh, long that's, time. That's an embarrassment. Yeah, uh, I'm done trusting Florida State. They have officially quit. They're rolling over. They're the Atlantic's version of North Carolina. They have no fight in them left. Um, except when they play Miami. But, yeah, they're done. I mean, they got nothing going for them at this point. Can't run the ball, can't throw the ball. Defense is getting exposed. Uh, A.J. Dillon, great game running the ball against Florida State's defense. That vaunted front seven looked really, really bad. Uh, yeah, they've completely rolled over and quit. They're ready for the season to be over. Um, bigger story here, what is going on with Boston College? Can we 
pretend like we know what's going on at least because I'm still trying to figure things out, but I guess they have something going here with A.J. Dillon. They can run the ball a little bit better than I think we thought. Mike, I think I think this game, and hear me out, you, do you have a sister? I do. I have a younger sister. Okay. Yep. Okay. So hear me out you on also this. Have a sister. This game, I do have a sister, yes. This game was like your sister was dating a guy for a long time, and he was a trustworthy, good guy. You really like him a lot. He's great. And then one day he's not in the picture anymore, and she brings him this new guy, right? And you're like, you're kind of skeptical of him for a while. Like, you're trying to see, like, is this guy for real? Is he all right? You know, what's that? And it goes on for a while, right? That's where we're at with Florida State, who is the old guy who was great, and you trusted him and everything. And the new guy is Boston College, and you're very, very skeptical of him this whole time. I don't know if I can trust Boston College because I don't really believe what I've seen from them yet, even though they've done it three straight weeks. It doesn't make sense, Mike. I don't buy it. The new guy is kicking the hell out of the old guy, 35 to Mm -hmm. 3, like by 32 points. I also literally just made that analogy up. I don't know why that came to me so quickly. Hey, good for you. That's that's where we're at. That's good. That's SAT level stuff, which (laughs) I wasn't any good at. So good for you, buddy. That's That's good. I hope it. I mean, at least I hope it made sense to anybody out there. Nailed that reading comp section. Like, yeah, yeah. I also hope that my sister doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. Hear my takes on boys that she does or does not bring home. Um, but anyways, um, yeah. I don't know if I can trust Boston College here. What I have learned definitively is that I cannot trust Florida State here, and I will not be voodoo magic into trusting them at all for the rest of this year. Mark my words. I will pick against them every week. Maybe even against Delaware State. I will pick against Florida State because they have quit. They are done. This is a disaster of a season for the Knolls, and uh, I don't see it getting any better before some potential coaching changes are made in the offseason, I think. What's super funny is that um, I wrote an article on Inside the ACC about a week ago, and I discussed potential replacements for Steve Adazio at Boston College and why they should consider making a change even if they go 7-6 and six and win another bowl game. And now I feel like one of the dumbest individuals in America for writing that article because now Boston College has won three straight. They're making teams question their existence, uh, specifically in the run defense. Um, that's kind of where we're at here with Boston College. They look super, super good right now. I don't trust them. I still know who their offensive coordinator is. It's Scott Leffler. What I've learned from being a Virginia Tech fan is you don't trust Scott Leffler. It's all smoke and mirrors, and you put up 40 points per game, and then uh, you regress back to the mean. I'm waiting for that moment for BC. I don't know when it's going to come. And if it doesn't, BC might have something here, especially running back. A.J. Dillon, super, super good. That's the one takeaway. Like He's been great the last month or so. He's definitely their starting running back of the future. Forget John Hillman. We talked about John Hillman in the preseason and – first part of this year talking about man it'd be great to see him get going for bc and now it's like man oh man aj Dillon is the real deal he's taken the stranglehold of that starting job and as long as he's continuing to run the football well uh it's hard not to like boston college and what they're doing right now defense is gaining confidence as well yeah that's fair i don't really like that boston college is doing this again mike they're gonna end up I with know. like seven wins it's the same and thing they're gonna make a yeah, Washington Trippi, that's Boston College. Um, now, their last three games, home against NC State, home against Connecticut at Syracuse, that might be a one-and-two stretch um, with a win over Connecticut. So they might just 
finish six and six and go to a bowl game and I can research whatever. That's another ACC team eligible for bowls. I can, so I can recirculate my article in like two or three months when they decide they're not retaining Steve Adazio. Is what you're saying? Like, yeah, put a fresh coat of paint on it. Talk about the last couple of games. Yeah, it's yeah. Reuse that content, Mike, for sure. I wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Number 13, Virginia Tech 24, Duke 3. Like I talked about with the Clemson game where weather was a huge issue, this was the same case in this game. I don't know if you've dried out yet. You said that you followed up this game with a trip to the Redskins game on Sunday, which was also a total just downpour situation. Do you like? Have you dried out yet? Do you smell like a wet dog, do you think? Yeah, I went into work today, and people are wondering why I was soaked. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you guys want me to do, you know? I've just been standing <laughs> in the rain all weekend. Uh, barely dried out, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, weather was awful. The Virginia Tech game, uh, nice little slow burn of Duke. Like, Hokies jump out to a pretty big lead. It's 10 nothing for most of the first half, and then it started to pour, and uh, the teams were trading punts. And then Josh Jackson found a way to throw a touchdown pass in a driving rainstorm with something like, I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes to go in the first half. And that was extremely important because that was when it was 17-3 to going into the half. And from there on in, Virginia Tech cruised because the weather got so much more horrendous than the driving rain towards the back half of the first half there. And it was really just on cruise control from there. Duke couldn't get anything going on offense. Daniel Jones threw another interception. He wasn't very good. They couldn't get a running game going. They lack true receivers on the outside. I mean, T.J. Roming's been fine, but they lack a lot of playmakers on that side of the ball. And it really shows up in a game where you need to run the football and you need to do it well and you need to make some plays, you know, to keep yourself in it. I mean, this Virginia Tech team just put it on cruise control. Horrible weather game, but not a lot to say here. Yeah, I mean, this is more or less what we expected. I was wanting Duke to cover here. I had them uh, plus 15 and a half, I think. They had every chance to do so. Um, they they had a late drive. They got into scoring position. And they didn't really end up uh, converting into a touchdown. Like I was, uh, like they, If they converted a touchdown late, that was the difference in covering the spread or not. Um, they, they don't. They end up turning it over on downs, and, uh, you know, that's it. And so... Like you said, I mean, Daniel Jones continues to struggle 10 to 24 for 82 yards and a pick. Um, he did leave the team with 65 yards rushing, but um, Duke is Duke's a weird case study this year, Mike, because they've won four in a row to start the year and they've now lost five in a row. Next, they've got a bye week next week and then they go to West Point and then they uh, are at home against Georgia Tech the following two weeks. Kind of hard to say what to expect if, if, Duke can really finish the drill and get bowl eligible. They finish at Wake Forest the weekend after that. Man, that would be a heartbreaker for Duke to start out four and uh, four and zero and then struggle to make bowl eligibility at all. But they have not had any momentum whatsoever really since starting, really since starting ACC play against teams not named North Carolina. So um, curious to see where they go from here. Meanwhile, like you said, Virginia Tech has a huge, huge showdown next week with the Miami Hurricanes in a uh, game that could potentially set up the uh, the ACC championship game and the representative from the Coastal. So uh, we will come back to that when that happens. Uh, let's move on, Mike. Wake Forest 42, Louisville 32. Louisville was favored in this game. We both told you that Wake Forest should probably win it, and they did. Um, this game was... 
I, I was a little surprised at how it happened, Mike. So this turned into way more of a shootout than I was expecting. Um, I did not think that Wake Forest's offense was going to be as effective as they were, and yet John Walford was magnificent. 28 of 34, 461 and five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Wake Forest ran the ball really well. Matt Colburn had 134 yards on 24 carries. Greg Dortch was unbelievable in this game. 10 receptions for 167 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, I believe that set some sort of record at some place. But uh, the, the maybe the big story for Wake coming out of the game is that Greg Dortch is now out for the year. Uh, he had a, a play sometime, I want to say it was in the third quarter, that he scored a touchdown and fell on a pylon, you know, on the corner of the end zone. And I guess there's some sort of metal piece or something in there that messed up his stomach or something. I mean, it was a really bizarre injury. Um, and yet he ended up needing surgery, and he's he's done for the year now. As a true freshman, had a fantastic season for Wake Forest. Um, he, he looks like a real weapon moving forward. But overall, huge win for Wake Forest. They, they really looked great on both sides of the ball. This wasn't even as close as the final score would suggest. Um, but I think also worth noting here, Mike, is I, I cannot tell you how bad I feel for Lamar Jackson having to deal with this team. Like, Louisville is... He deserves better than he deserves right better. Now, he deserves better. He deserves better. Yeah. Um, uh, let's recircle the Wake Forest real quick. Um, if you're going to go out for the year, go out with a bang. So Greg Dorsch did that, as you mentioned, with the ten catches for 167 and four touchdowns. Uh, Scotty Washian, sophomore, six catches, 133 yards. He had a really nice day as well. Um, John Walford, of course, star of the show. I mean, he had six total touchdowns five of which came through the air, I believe. Is that correct? Oh, look at that. Yep. So five touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Fantastic showing. Louisville's defense sucks. Lamar Jackson should be regretting his college decision. Um, it's getting to that point. Like, it's, you know, I'd love to feel bad for him, but now I'm like, you know what? This is your own damn fault. You won the Heisman. I think That's I saw, about it. Like, I think I saw somewhere that Lamar Jackson currently leads the country in total offense by like 900 yards. And in fact, yes, I got it pulled up here. Number two in the country in all in all purpose, you know, total offense is Mason Rudolph, head, you know, the quarterback at Oklahoma State. He's got a little over 2,900 yards of offense. Lamar Jackson has upwards of 3,800 by himself. He is he is gone, Mike. He could not play the next two games, and he'd still lead the country. Like that's that's what he's doing in spite of the rest of his team. Yeah, I mean, you could make the case. Uh, see, the reason why it's not happening this year is, A, because he won the Heisman last year, and B, because his team's so bad. But he's putting up Heisman numbers this year, and he's not being talked about. I mean, he's having as good of a year this year as he had last year. I mean, this is just what he is. He's He emerged into an unbelievable passer of the football. I mean, he, this is a guy who you'll remember a couple of years ago, a lot of people were wondering, in that opener against Auburn, it's like this guy can't really throw. Um, he was one of like the three or four quarterbacks Louisville was rotating into that opener in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game a couple of years ago. They finally settled on Lamar Jackson to be the starter moving forward. He was extremely athletic running the ball. But there came to a point in time where it's just started to kind of click for him throwing the ball. And we reached that point last year when he won the Heisman Trophy. He's done a lot this year to continue that momentum moving forward and it's going to be really interesting seeing where he ends up at the next level I think that's the real conversation we're going to have I mean there's no chance he's coming back to Louisville after this year um I you know there's just too much at stake I mean when you have bad offensive line play and you're basically an injury waiting to happen with that line it's 
you know, you've got to cut your losses at some point. Or <laughs> I say cut your losses, but it's probably the best move for him in his future to move on to the NFL and see what he can do. But I'm really interested to see where he ends up at the next level, if he's going to have an opportunity uh, as a quarterback to really settle into a system and kind of get his feet under him. Because I think he has potential to be a real star at the next level at the quarterback position. And not a lot of people believe that because he's, you know, he's been labeled as, you know, run first, which, you know, fair or unfair is the label that these quarterbacks get, like a Deshaun Watson, who's obviously doing all the things he's doing for the Texans. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think a lot a lot of individuals will be higher on other quarterbacks, but I think Lamar Jackson is one of those guys you're going to have to watch for just because he's an extremely dynamic play playmaker who's shown he knows how to win, even with a really, really bad team around him. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I have half a mind to just say, you know what, I'm done. He he got yeah. he got injured for a time period in this game. Like at some point, that puts a scare into you. You look at Juwan your team; you're five and four. Yeah, Juwan Pass had to come in for a drive or two. At some point, at some point, you look at your team and you say, "We're five and four. I, I've got NFL potential. I've got nothing left to prove in terms of, you know, what I can do from a physical level." And being out there is only adding risk. You are you are not gaining any sort of draft stock you are not adding any any value to you and yourself now there's obviously a certain duty to your team that you feel and and that's you know anybody who's been coached to be a team player will feel a certain duty to their team but at the end of the day I mean look maybe you're almost doing your team a favor by getting Juwan past some snaps this year getting him ready to go for next year when hopefully you've got a little more of a complete team because Right now, you are in, in grave danger of getting injured with how your offensive line is playing and with how much of the load that you're having to shoulder. I, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I, I think about, do I just you know cut my losses and move on and, and say, thank you, Louisville, but um, I, I've got to take care of me and move on. I don't know. I, it's something to think about. I'm sure Louisville fans would be real mad, but um, I, I don't think that's a that's a crazy thing to suggest, Mike. You definitely couldn't blame him if he ended up doing that, especially if you're in a situation where he ends up playing out the rest of the season and sits out a bowl game, um, assuming mm-hmm. Louisville makes one, which I think they still will. Uh, you know, I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world if he just pulls a Christian McCaffrey and says, you know, I'm done. Or Leonard Fournette even is a great example. He, You know, no, I'm good. I'm not playing in the bowl game. I'm just going to sit it out, uh, you know. A lot of people label it as, oh, it's all about him. And you know what? Damn right it is. It is all about him. You're right. Because this team has been so bad behind him all year long. Uh, You know, don't talk about whether or not he's a team player. I mean, this guy has carried the team on his back. And you know that's the first criticism he's going to get. Oh, he's not a team player. He's all about him. Yeah, I'd be all about me, too, if I had millions of dollars on the line that could be gone at the first injury that happens to me, like Jalen Smith at Notre Dame two years ago mm-hmm. in the Fiesta Bowl. That's why players started doing this in the first place. So don't be surprised if Lamar Jackson decides that he's going to sit out and you know, not play in the bowl game if Louisville makes it that far. Um, that's one thing we'll definitely be watching for and something that I think is almost surely to happen. Uh, by the way, Mike, Wake Forest, real good. Real good. They're five and three. Real good. Yep. They're uh, they're they're threatening to get up there and win seven or eight games. Next four games, rest of the year at Notre Dame, at Syracuse, home against NC State, home against Duke. Don't be shocked if they jump up and and uh, upset either Notre Dame or NC State. Um, Notre Dame next week coming off a double, almost a double letdown type of situation with uh, NC State and USC in in back to back weeks. So just you know, not going to predict it, but just something to keep an eye on. Um, 
But Wake Forest real good. Wake Forest 42, Louisville 32. Last game, Mike, Pittsburgh 31, Virginia 14. I had this one wrong as well. I said Virginia would get right. They're about the fourth team I've said was going to get right at some point this season that has not. I'm going to I'm going to apologize to Virginia fans that I said that your team is going to get right because by now I should probably know what what that means when I say someone's going to get right. Um, that's on me. Uh, your team got steamrolled by a Pittsburgh team that's now figuring out how to run the ball, which, you know, okay. Uh, Darren Hall in this game has now apparently just become, you know, the second coming of uh, – uh, Tony Dorsett. I was thinking there was a pit running back that was, you know, Tony Dorsett. He's there now 25 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown. In two weeks, Mike, he's gone 49 carries, upwards of 350 yards, and like four touchdowns. So, Darren Hall, potential dude alert. I think that's fair. Um, other than that, that's that's about the story of this game. Kurt Benkert falling back to the mean a little bit. Uh, 22 of 42 for 212, two touchdowns, and a pick. Um, that's okay. Barely 50% passing is not really what we thought we were going to get from him based on what we saw earlier in the year. Um, Pitt, don't look now, but Pitt is starting to pull it together a little bit. Uh, they're four and five. They got a, a bye week and then another bye week where they play UNC. And then they have a road game at Virginia Tech and a home game against Miami to finish the year. I don't know if they're going to get to six wins, Mike, but they might push for like a five and seven APR kind of bull bid. Um, Pitt starting to salvage something. They've won two in a row against Duke and Virginia with UNC still to go. So uh, Panthers might salvage something here. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm surprised. Hell to Pitt. Pitt is it. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, There's some other things we could say about Pitt. Yeah. They probably won't like it as much. Yeah, we'll, say, <laughs> we'll save that for the PG-13 version of the podcast that we'll record later this week <laughs> um yeah not a lot to say about this i don't really know what virginia is at this point and i'm not really sure i know what Pitt is at this point either uh pit much like boston college has seemingly found a running game out of literally nowhere and virginia has regressed back to the mean because they're virginia and that's what they do uh, but I think one thing's for certain here, like Virginia's a lot better than we thought they would be. Um, you and I had four wins for Virginia. That was on the high side, I thought. Um, a lot of people had them in a worse spot than that. And then looking at the rest of uh, looking at the rest of their schedule, I mean, it's going to be really tough for Virginia to get to the point where they're at six wins. I mean, they're at five now. They're going to have to win one of these games down the stretch that they're probably not supposed to win against tougher competition. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough spot for Virginia to be in now moving forward. I thought they had to win one of the games here the last couple of weeks in order to, you know, really be a lock to make a bowl game. Now it's a little bit more uncertain, so it'll be interesting to see how they finish the season. And as for Pittsburgh, I mean, they've started running the ball better because they really had no choice. I mean, Ben DiNucci's a bad passer. Um, Max Brown's out for the year because of his shoulder surgery, and that's when they really started to run the ball, to your point. And because of that, you know, they've been more balanced offensively. Maybe that's something they should have tried to figure out before. And maybe, oh, yeah, maybe that's why they've been, I don't know, pretty competitive in recent years because they've had a good run game. Um, yeah, that's a winning recipe. So uh, good for Pitt for finally figuring it out. Might be too late, but we'll just have to see. But uh, don't really know about either of these two teams. Uh, you know, anybody's guess, whatever. They're at the bottom of the coastal. I, Whatever. Mike, I think this is a perfect example that the ACC has 14 teams in it. 
I think there's about five of them that I really know what I'm going to get from them on a week to week basis at this point. And and I'm you know maybe this sounds like making excuses, but I have such a bad week making picks because so much of this has become so unpredictable. Two weeks ago, we were talking about how good Virginia's looked, you know, as they get up to five and one, and then they lose back to back games against teams you didn't really think they could lose to. Meanwhile, those teams were teams that looked awful a month ago and now are starting to finally pull something together. I mean, it's on a week to week basis, there is a lot of volatility in, in like the middle and bottom of the ACC right now. And so yep. I think my big takeaway. And, you know, we're going to continue talking about betting and such on this show. But my big takeaway right now is I would keep your money away from some of these teams. You Like, it is, it is becoming exceptionally hard to predict what any of these teams are or who they're going to be in any given week. I mean, there are, there are four teams in the ACC right now that have less than three losses. And, you know, there's several that have four and five. And, and you know, there's a lot of just parity. It is... It is like peak ACC that you don't really know who's good and who's not. Um, and that's that's kind of where we're at with this league right now. So I think this game pretty much uh, really well displayed that. Uh, Pitt, Pitt over Virginia in a game that two weeks ago we would have told you the final score would have been the exact opposite. But now apparently Pitt has figured out how to run the ball and Virginia's come back to earth. I don't know when either of those happened, but that's our current reality, Mike. Such is life in the ACC. Yeah, it's weird. We're going to have to try to figure things out from a betting perspective. I will continue to try, but to your point, no promises. Yeah, no doubt. Pitt 31, Virginia 14. Uh, Mike, we got a go ACC moment of the week of sorts. Really uh, kind of more of a go NCAA moment of the week? Yeah, uh, we're going a little bit off the cuff this week with this one. Um, we are the basketball conference podcast. We are a football podcast, but we're going to talk about basketball for a second. Uh, you'll remember, Joey, this, you know, big, long, drawn-out North Carolina paper classes, uh, that whole scandal that wrapped up a few weeks ago that we, um, you know, that thing that happened. You know? I I remember them about as well as the UNC players that took those classes remember the Stop. content of them. But, you know, that, that's fine. Yeah, no, no. Stop. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. yeah, so... Okay, so the NCAA renders a decision on that saying that North Carolina is going to skate and there are no issues and no sanctions and everything's cool with North Carolina. And then there's an individual named Braxton Beverly. He's a freshman point guard who transferred from Ohio State to NC State. Now, as you know, Joey, there are transfer rules in place in both college football and basketball that require an individual, unless they get a waiver, to sit out one year because of the transfer rules jumping from school to school. Um, that's to prevent, of course, like a college football, college basketball free agency pool is what essentially that is preventing. Anyway, mm-hmm. Braxton Beverly originally enrolled at Ohio State under coach Thad Mata. Thad Mata abruptly resigned slash got fired slash retired earlier I don't know, was it like mid to late summer? Like some random, random time for Ohio State. Now, Braxton Beverly had been enrolled at classes at Ohio State because he wanted to work out with the basketball team. Well, he took a couple of classes there in a summer session late last summer for the Buckeyes. And once he you know, found out that that motto was leaving, he decided that he wanted to transfer to NC State. Now, mind you, this is a couple classes at Ohio State. He was not taking a full course load. He had taken less than 12 credits worth of classes at Ohio State. 
and decided that since his coach was leaving, he wanted to leave too. Perfectly plausible. We see it all the time. So he transfers to NC State. The NCAA deems that Beverly needs to file a waiver in order to play right away. That's standard operating procedure, no big deal. So Beverly does so, fully anticipating that he'd be able to play right away there at NC State. Until the NCAA rendered the verdict that because Braxton Beverly had actually attended real classes at Ohio State for, I don't know, six to nine credit hours over last summer, he had to he had to sit out a full year and is not eligible for this college basketball season. Meanwhile, North Carolina completely skates on their academic fraud. All of their players are eligible. The program, of course, has no sanctions, and all is well and good in Chapel Hill. So you tell me what the bigger scandal is. Is it the fact that North Carolina skates, or is it the fact that they're sitting out or making Braxton Beverly a freshman transfer who took real classes at Ohio State and hasn't participated in a game yet for the Buckeyes, sit out a year now at NC State because he wanted to transfer because his coach left. I, I, you know, what are rules at this point, right? Go NCAA moment of the week. This happened a couple weeks ago. Um, That's when the original verdict was handed down, but the reason why we're bringing it up on this podcast is because Beverly filed an appeal and the decision on the appeal was rendered today, and the appeal was denied. So Braxton Beverly now has to sit out a year for NC State, and we'll see him on the basketball court now a full year from now for the Wolfpack. Sad, sad, sad stuff in the ACC. Pretty disgraceful. Mike, I I feel like calling the NCAA a kangaroo court is probably giving them too much credit. Like, Yep. The, the moral of the story here is don't try to graduate high school early and en- enroll in college. You should just stay in high school as long as you can and and not really try to advance your education any quicker than everybody else does, right? Take fake classes, all good. I mean, if you take fake classes, it's all good in the NCAA's eyes. You can do whatever you want. If your basketball program is one of the largest generators of revenue on the college basketball landscape like North Carolina's is, all good. All good. No problem here. But if you're a kid that's trying to further himself – academically and athletically and decides that he wants to leave because his coach is no longer the coach at the school that he committed to. Hey, got to sit out a year. You know, (sighs) tough shit, as they say, you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, you still get the short end of the stick in the end. So that's, that's tough, tough situation there. So obnoxious. The NCAA is, is a, Total joke of an organization at this point, Mike. Yeah, just not ridiculous. Just not fair at all. Mike, is there anything else you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? Yeah, uh, college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday night. A lot of you, of course, will be listening to this on Tuesday morning slash afternoon. Uh, if you listen to this after Tuesday, you're already going to know what the top four is for the committee. But do we want to give ours? Yeah, let's do that real quick. All right, cool. Um, you want to do the should honors? We, should we... Yeah, sure. Should we designate, first of all, that this is, I think, our personal top four, not our prediction for what the rankings will be? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay. All right. My top four, Mike. Number one, I think i got to go with the Tide. We're going with the Tide. Uh, Alabama, number one. I think number two, uh, let's go with, uh, I think I'll go with Ohio State here, number two. I think number three, I'm looking at Notre Dame. And I think number four, I'm going Clemson. So you've got 
SEC, Big Ten, Independent, and ACC. Uh, I think Clemson still sneaks in at this point. I'm probably giving a little too much credit to Notre Dame. It, you know, maybe a little too much to Ohio State as well at this point. I don't know, but I think if I had to pick a playoff today, I think those are my my top four seeds personally. Um, and we'll see how the rest shakes out. What are your uh, What are your top four here? All right, I'm giving you a top four now based on what they've done so far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to put Georgia number one because. Disagree. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> okay, Georgia's number one because um, they beat Notre Dame in South Bend, and Alabama's best win is, uh, yeah, I don't know, like Florida State. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Alabama's obviously, in my opinion, Alabama's best team in the country, but whatever. Uh, but they're not number one because they don't have the resume as number one at this point. Georgia's number one. I have Alabama two, Notre Dame three. Uh, Notre Dame has now three big wins, in my opinion. You beat Michigan State. Um, of course, you beat USC handily two weeks ago. USC team that bounced back nicely against Arizona State this past weekend. And you beat NC State at home. I think those are huge wins. Um, and your one-point loss to Georgia doesn't look that bad. Number four is Wisconsin. Wisconsin hasn't played anybody yet, hasn't really been tested, but they've taken care of business. They have a really good defense and a strong running game. They're 8 no. They're number four. I don't know that they're the fourth best team in the country, but you know I think they should be number four just based on what they've done so far, and we'll just let the results speak for themselves later in the year. At number five, I have Oklahoma because they beat Ohio State. Oklahoma's got a couple of impressive wins, not only against the Buckeyes, but they've played well against other teams throughout the Big 12 play so far as well. They lost to Iowa State, which is an issue, but um, they have the head-to-head over the Buckeyes, and I'm putting them ahead of them. At, and so I got Ohio State at six, and I got Clemson at seven, and we'll just see how it plays out. What the hell? I, I don't know. There's a lot of football left. It's just a guess. It's my best guess. There's, there's a lot of football left, and I think it's noteworthy, Mike, that now with – a solid four weeks before conference championships, there's only five undefeated teams in the country, and one of them is Miami. Um, and and let's, at the risk of going down that road again, um, let's just say that I think that there is more, uh, more chaos to come. I'm not entirely sold that Georgia's going to get past Auburn. I'm not entirely sold that, uh, you know, a team like, I don't know, say Oklahoma is going to stay, you know, one loss from here on out. There's more upsets coming our way that I think is going to get really intriguing. This this season has had a lot more parity, I think, nationwide than we've seen in several years. And many would throw back to the 10-year anniversary of the 2007 season, which was like the ultimate parity season of the, like the BCS era, really. Um, I don't think we're quite there, but we're not that far from it. I, I think we're lacking in certainty more than we have in a long time on a national level. So it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of where things shake out here as we get the first rankings on Tuesday night. Yeah, a lot of parity. There's also potential you might not have that many Power 5 conferences in. Um, Say if Georgia wins the rest of their games, they beat Auburn, they go to the SEC championship game, they don't get blown out by Alabama, and they play them pretty competitively. Uh, tough to leave either Georgia or Alabama out, whoever the loser is of that game, if it's a close game. Um, Notre Dame wins out. They're probably in. Uh, the real question is, where do you go if 
you know, you've got one spot remaining, and it comes down to a one-loss Oklahoma, a one-loss Ohio State, and a one-loss Clemson. That's where the party begins, in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. I think I think Oklahoma is going to lose again. I think Georgia could potentially lose before they play Alabama. I think Notre Dame definitely um, has an opportunity to win out, but they got some tough games left. Wake Forest at home, I mean, don't sleep on that game. They got Stanford. Navy always gives them fits, and they do have a trip to Miami. I got to mention that, unfortunately. So who knows? There are a lot of interesting games left and a lot of football to be played. This always seems to sort itself out, but what if it doesn't? That's that's the real question. What if it doesn't? Then it gets really fun. As much as we say we'd like to be on the committee, I don't know how much we would. <laughs> that's kind of a stressful yeah. position to be in. <laughs> yeah, not fun. Uh, a lot of fun, but uh, not fun. Yeah, no kidding. Mike, we need to get out of here. This has been a long podcast. <laughs> little uh, long. It's been close to an hour and ten. little long. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's been a good, uh, good little checkpoint. We got a good little Miami rant in there. We got some... Uh, higher level discussion on kind of where things stand across the conference right now. So yeah, that was a pretty good little, uh, little recap episode. Uh, we're going to come back soon and preview week 10. I don't think we have any Thursday or Friday night games this week, so it might be a little later this week before we get the preview out, but uh, really big slate next weekend in the ACC. Um, going to really determine where things go from here. I think uh, with some of, some of these matchups and kind of, uh, might be might be watching both divisions get decided next weekend. Uh, Miami, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, NC State. So come back and tune in for that. Uh, in the meantime, Mike, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, they can send us an email to the longest email address known to man: Basketball Conference Podcast at Gmail Nailed it. All right. Uh, they can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on. The Overcast app, not Stitcher, not Spotify, and we've gotten no other confirmations of where they can or cannot find us elsewhere. So at your own risk. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all the podcasts there. Find Go ACC Moments of the Week there. Uh, I'll try to post the article about Braxton Beverly up there so you guys can read through that yourselves and be outraged like the rest of us. Um, So, yeah, we post a lot of stuff up there, so make sure you like our page. Absolutely, come find us. By the way, the DMs are open. If you think that we're uh, we're full of crap on here, just let us know, and we'll uh, we'll have a nice little discussion we, about it. I mean, it. we probably are. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not telling you that we're not. I mean, maybe we are. Who knows? Um, the listeners usually know best of these shows, Mike. Um, in any case, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and preview week ten? Absolutely, buddy. Let's do it. We'll talk soon. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And until then, go ACC.